Welcome to Parallel, a tech podcast with accessibility sprinkles. This is episode 61, and I'm your host, Shelley Brisbane. Virtual reality, augmented reality, and other computerized ways of enhancing our view of the world around us have spurred the imaginations of developers, hardware builders, and gamers. They look forward to a limitless XR-enabled future. But will that future be accessible to everyone? It's an important question if you're unable to see, have a motor disability, or have a cognitive disability. And it's a question that's at the heart of the work being done by XR Access. My guest today is Regine Gilbert. She is a user experience designer, educator, and has over 10 years of experience working in the technology world. In 2019, Regine's first book, Inclusive Design for a Digital World, Designing with Accessibility in Mind, was released through A-Press Publishing. She is also a member of the strategy team for XR Access, an organization that's working to make all kinds of reality, including augmented and virtual ones, accessible to all. Regine Gilbert, welcome to Parallel. Thank you. I'm so happy to be here and talk to you today. I'm really happy to have you. And, and I should say, and when we talked before, I think I, I mentioned this, but when I learned that XR Access was a thing that was out there, I was super excited because I like to think that I'm plugged into what's going on in the tech world and the accessibility world, too. And I did not know about it. And so we'll get to that organization. But I want to start with the term XR because we're familiar, a lot of us, with virtual reality and augmented reality. And so I guess it's the simplest way to think about it is that XR combines all those things. But what should we know about the term, the umbrella term XR? What does it mean? What's it all about? Well, it is, I will say this, it's one of those things that uh, some people like it, some people don't (laughs) in terms of uh, thinking about XR, which stands for extended reality, which is an umbrella term for augmented reality, virtual reality, mixed reality. Um, And it there are some people who like it. There are some people who who don't. Uh, People, uh, Mark Zuckerberg, Uh, A few months ago, talked about the metaverse and how uh, things are going to be in this metaverse. So you hear people saying metaverse, but then people don't like the word metaverse either. So for now, (laughs) you know, extended reality, I think, is a good good way to speak about this area that is still so much a work in progress. So tell me about XR Access. It looks like it's an organization with people from all over the world and in, in, who work in various uh, disciplines. And, and so I'm just, just, just let me tell me what it's about. Sure. So XR Access was started by um, folks at Cornell Tech uh, who were saying, you know, we need more accessibility in this space and in, in the space of extended reality. So they started with a symposium. Um, and I attended the very first symposium and I said, I want to be a part of this. Uh, so I've been a part of uh, XR Access, um, I would say, from the after the first symposium. And so right now, the 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 focus of XR Access is to uh, several, several areas. Um, there's three different work streams. Um, one is uh, focusing on business cases and uh, policy. Another group is a developer group working on the development of accessible XR. 
uh, and there there's another group that's working on inclusion, uh, inclusive design, uh, and and XR. So there are, yeah, there are members from all over the world, uh, which is very cool. And depending on what your interest is, I think that you could find um, you could find a, a group to be part of. And there's just in general, there's so many people with such great knowledge of what it takes to make these experiences accessible. And not only um, the knowledge, but really um, applying what they know and then executing on it and then making it. So that's, I really love XR Access. I'm completely biased, Um, (laughs) but it's such a great organization. So I, I highly recommend people join. For a person who has an accessibility need, there there certainly are are challenges posed by what's required of you to enter into an extended reality experience. Can you can you talk about what some of those challenges are? Sure. So when thinking about uh, virtual reality, which in in many instances requires someone to put a head mounted display on their head, um, and hold controllers, right? So all of that in itself requires a certain amount of mobility. It may require a, a certain amounts of vision with the way things are, are currently made. However, some of the, I would, I'd call them, you know, opportunities that, that are, are happening now are how do you, how do you make these things accessible? thinking about something that's visual and making it not visual, thinking about something that's audio and making it not audio. How do you think about something where I don't use controllers, right? Um, there, uh, There's the ability for hand gesture, right? So you're not actually holding something, but you're, the gestures of your hands can actually become the controllers. Um, but what does that mean when you're only using one hand? So I think when I think about extended reality, I think about it in terms of what are the options that can be provided, not only from a hardware perspective, but from a software perspective as well. And so this is what has uh, gotten me interested in researching inclusion and accessibility in this space is because a, a lot of folks are not thinking about this. A lot of designers in this area are not thinking about it. A lot of developers are not thinking about it. And so now I'm trying to spread the word um, through XR Access and then any other channels I can get. And I think there are probably a lot of people who would take the example of the head-mounted display and think about gaming or think about mixed reality as something one does optionally as entertainment. And I guess I'm wondering for, for those people, and I certainly don't feel this way, but why is it important that mixed reality environments be accessible? I mean, I, that question I get asked quite, you know, why is it important to, to be accessible? To, to me, that's a human right. Uh, it's not even a question. Uh, however, I, I will say, because I, I've, I actually got this question from somebody who, who did an interview with me saying, I work on a small team. We don't have time to do accessibility. And I, I said, I don't understand what you're saying. <laughs> Can you explain to me why? You know, my my question is always to ask why to folks who tell me that accessibility isn't uh, important. And I think that at the end of the day, are you providing 
your user base with options for them to experience the thing that you're creating. And when you make things accessible, you're not guaranteeing that everyone can can use it, but you are guaranteeing that a majority of folks can if you're doing it in the right ways and getting an understanding. But I, I think there's just, a, in general, a lack of knowledge about what that means. And, and when it comes to XR, especially because it's not a new technology, uh, first and foremost. However, I think the adoption of it from a consumer side is we're seeing an increase in it. Um, there, there's just a lot of opportunity, I think, to to make things accessible in part because it's not it's not the web, right? And it's not something in general that people people have thought about when they're creating this stuff. And it seems like for people who say accessibility isn't a priority, what they're basically saying is the people that need accessibility aren't a priority, either because they're a minority of my users or because I don't think about them as the people I want in my audience. Yeah. I mean, I, I don't know the reasons why people say the things that they do, but I'm assuming. <laughs> Come on, that, explain that, everybody. Yeah, <laughs> I don't know. I can't explain everybody. But I, I think that, you know, it, 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 it just, it, it really has me wondering why myself, which is why I always ask why, well, why, why do you think that way in order for me to get a better understanding? I just think that there is, there's definitely in general, I would say in the, in the XR space, there is a lot of lack of knowledge of accessibility, because one of the things that I started doing research around was looking at accessibility tools and seeing if there were any um, accessibility features to these tools. And so many of them did not have anything at all. Right. And it, it seems, too, that people who work on mixed reality experiences, I mean, just take virtual reality as an example, it seems like they're, they probably are thinking of it in terms of, well, it's a different way of seeing. Well, if you're a blind person, clearly you can't see, so let's move along. I right. mean, and and that, that probably extends to any other kind of disability that would prevent you from consuming the material, the content in the way that the designer imagined that it would be consumed. Yeah. And I mean, there are folks who are working on, um, and, it, and this is a lot of university work, who are working with uh, disability communities in this space, um, there's actually a really cool product out called Walk-In VR that can be used to make a a lot of uh, gaming experiences accessible um, in different different ways from from a mobility perspective. Um, So there there are things out there, it's just there needs to be more. And I, I think that there needs to be a lot more from the companies who actually make these, you know, make the tools um, for which create the experiences. And is that something that is as hard as it might seem? Because I I don't really know a lot about the tools people are using, but I, I guess that a lot of them have things in common with things like things that you would draw or you know or build a game in. So it's a, it's a completely you know, visual environment and it's oriented toward the visual output that you're you're going to create. I mean, what's needed to make tools more accessible for the for the developers? So I will just say first and foremost, I am not a developer. 
I have um, some experience with Unity and and creating things, but I'm not full on in there uh, doing things. Uh, there there are challenges on the technical side uh, for certain things. However, there you know people have, uh, for example, with with the Unity product, um, Unity has some plugins for accessibility, but their their Unity itself doesn't actually have the the functionality that the that that, that the plugin has. Right, so somebody will have to get this plugin in order to use it in order to make their thing uh, accessible, for example. So I think when when we think about the web um, and we think about making the web accessible, there are things that are inherent to certain um, you know, applications that can help make things accessible. So I think that the again, there there's there's just a lot to be done in this space, which is kind of fun. Sure. And you, you focus on the design side. So what are the fundamental sort of building blocks of, of making that process more accessible or making it possible for designers, whether they're using accessibility tools or not, to sort of understand what they need to do in order to design experiences that are going to be accessible for people? Well, I think, one, there isn't an umbrella thing. And, and, and the classic design answer is it depends. Uh, because it truly does. So when you're thinking about if you're doing something in virtual reality, which tends to be a little bit more of a, you know, uh, not a contained space, but you're in this virtual environment, which you you can kind of control a little bit better, let, let's say, than augmented reality, where somebody might be out in the world. And I'll give the example of Pokemon Go, which a lot of folks are familiar with. Uh, Pokemon Go is an augmented reality that people can, uh, you know, use outdoors, right? When you're outdoors, for example, 90% of your environment as a designer is uncontrollable. So that's, that's, there's just so many different factors. So it depends on what you're making and who you're, who, who you're targeting and, and what, what platforms you're, you're planning on using. So there's a lot of context is everything in the situation sure. when it, when, in regards to design. This episode of Parallel is brought to you by Privacy.com. Privacy is a tool that makes it easy to manage your financial lives online while keeping your most important information secure. By generating virtual numbers, privacy masks your bank information, so you never have to worry about giving it out to people you don't know online. I recently had this situation where I had to authorize a regular ACH bank withdrawal, and I did it by filling out a secure form online. But I also know that that form can be printed, that once it leaves my hands, I don't have control of who has my banking numbers. And privacy makes it possible to just send a virtual number along and uh, still conduct the automatic withdrawal that I needed to do, but also protect my actual bank account information from access by somebody who I don't necessarily uh, know or trust. Take back control of your payments. Decide who can charge your card, how much, and how often. And you can close cards at any time. Plus, you can make sure that you're never accidentally billed twice or upgraded to another service without your consent. And Privacy is partnered with the good folks at 1Password. You can create, use, and save privacy cards directly within your 1Password dashboard. 
All virtual cards created in one password will have the same security benefits of your other privacy cards. And you can set spend limit, create single-use or merchant-locked cards whenever you want. Head to privacy.com slash parallel and sign up for an account. New customers will automatically get $5 to spend on your first purchase. Go to privacy.com slash parallel and sign up now. Our thanks to Privacy for their support of this show and Relay FM. Something that I've noticed as operating systems and software that works on phones, for example, have employed augmented reality or other kinds of uh, mixed reality, something I've noticed is that there have been accessibility-related experiences created. In other words, experiences that are specific to somebody with an accessibility need, like you use a LiDAR sensor to determine where a person is or how far away they are, and presumably you could go even further than that, or you use um, machine learning to be able to interpret an image for somebody who's blind. And I'm wondering if there are other kinds of experiences like that or mixed reality applications that you can think of that, that might be specifically aimed at an audience that has disabilities. In theory, like you could create a virtual world that, and I don't, I don't know if this sort of thing exists, but you could create a simulation or a virtual environment that would, would allow somebody who doesn't have vision to interact with stuff in a way they can't with their eyes, right? Oh, yeah. So I was actually just on a panel this past uh, week at the M Enabling Summit um, where we were talking about XR and entertainment and um, Chris Hainsworth um, out of the UK uh, worked with uh, a friend of his who is blind and they created a virtual world um, for um, blind burner. They go, it's called blind burners. And so people who want to experience Burning Man who, um, who are blind and also making it uh, an event that, that anyone can attend. And so everything was described right? Uh, in great detail in this virtual environment. So yeah, that, that's one example of, of basically bringing the Burning Man experience um, to a virtual world and making it like audio descriptive so that um, uh, blind folks could, could experience it. Right. And I would imagine similarly, if you have a motor disability and you you can't walk but you could create a simulate a virtual world where mountain climbing is what you're doing and you're changing the elevation and that and then you have access to all that visual information here's what it would look like if i were on top of everest or some right. other mountain i mean during the pandemic i mean we're still in the pandemic but at the height of it when we were on lockdown here in brooklyn i was using my virtual reality headset to travel so I would get in my VR headset and I was like, I want to go to Tokyo today <laughs> and I would go there, you know, and I would, it was really cool to be there. And, um, my partner's from, um, Venezuela. So it's like, do you want to go to Venezuela? <laughs> what are you sure. talking about? Why and I said, put the VR headset on and you can go and travel. And so, um, I, I think that's kind of the beauty of this type of technology is that it can take you um, to other places. Like uh, 
in the past, my students worked with um, this organization, a nonprofit out of uh, Seattle, which uses web VR, which is um, more like a, a 360 environment using a, a computer. And they, they would connect a volunteer with an older adult and the older adult would choose a city they'd like to visit. I don't know, let's say Los Angeles. And this volunteer, they would both get on computers and the, the volunteer would take, take the older adult on a tour virtually in this web VR world. Um, and it was a way to connect folks um, especially during the pandemic, uh, they were they were doing a lot of a lot of really cool work. And what's great about that is not only are you having a virtual experience together, but the other person, the person who's leading the tour, is actually doing that that work of you know moving things around in VR. And so the person who's experiencing it doesn't have to worry about oh I'm uncomfortable in this environment. I've never been in virtual reality before. And there's a sort of a a hand-holding, caretaking kind of aspect to it, a human connection. You are a teacher as part of the, the work that you do, and I guess I wonder how you introduce the idea of inclusion in in XR and just in design in general to students who may have gotten into this field because they really love the the geeky aspects of it or their creative thinkers visually. And, and now you're saying, well, something else that's important for you to consider is accessibility and inclusion. So how do you talk to them about that? So I, I teach, uh, I teach user experience design, uh, voice user interface design. And I also teach uh, an assistive technology class or co-teach an assistive technology class called uh, looking forward for all of the classes that I teach accessibility and inclusion is uh, day one. Um, we talk about it from a research perspective because my classes always start with research and m having the students understand what does it mean uh, to be inclusive? What does it mean to, you know, what does accessibility mean? And a lot of my students have no idea what uh, any of that stuff means. Um, they don't know, you know, I, I teach them about ableism and, and what that means and, and certain language that is okay and certain language that's not okay. And then ask people what they want to be called, you know, this kind of thing. Uh, and so it is something I, I do from the very, very beginning. Uh, and I've been teaching um, UX design for now six years, and I've always incorporated it into my classes. And what kind of a response do you get? Do people get it? Does a light bulb go off or is some of them a harder sell? I know they all get it, which has been great because it's it's something, you know, when they go and interview for jobs, I think it differentiates them from other people sure. who may not even speak about it at all. Uh, and it's it's um, it's been accepted very well. And oftentimes they they say, oh, I was doing this thing. And I thought, this isn't accessible. I go, yes. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that has to feel great. You have to feel yeah. so proud as a teacher when that happens. I, I really, you know, it, it has been, um, I never expected my, my, my career path to where I'd become a professor and, and do this type of work, but it is, it is so rewarding. So people who 
try to educate others about accessibility, always make the point, and this is to do with development, but I want to ask you about it from a, from a design point of view. They always make the point that accessibility needs to be baked in from the beginning as opposed to trying to put it on top and cram it into a place that, that it doesn't necessarily fit because there's too much other stuff in the way. Mm-hmm. I assume you agree with that, but how does that apply to UX design? Well, I think that, you know, people will say how accessibility needs to be a separate, you know, it's a separate thing. It's not separate. Accessibility is part of your UX design. It's part of the colors that you choose, the fonts that you're you're choosing, you know, what, um, what, what's the spacing you're using? Like all these things that you do have an impact on accessibility as a designer and uh, DQ, which is a great um, organization um, that does accessibility trainings and such, they they did a, a, a study or a, a survey, a study. And with that, they found that 46 or 47% of accessibility errors happen in design. Hmm. And so that's a lot of the the color contrast things, the the spacing, the hierarchy of a page, right? The layout of a page are, you know, so I think that it's been, it, it, it's, it's, it's a huge deal for designers to one, be aware of it, but not only be aware of it, because I've been doing a talk lately called the uh, moving from awareness to action, like not just being aware, but also making the changes that you need to make in order to make things accessible. And I am happy to say that over the past five years or so, I have seen more and more people interested and involved in accessibility. So it, it excites me for the future. Well, well, that brings me to a, a really important question I wanted to ask, which is where should people who are excited about this and who maybe who are designers and don't know anything about it go to sort of get their feet wet and learn about what they need to do? Are there some resources out there you can point to? Yeah. So if you're interested in learning about um, accessibility and XR, I definitely recommend uh, checking out XR Access. Uh, I'm a member, a proud member of XR Access. Um, and, and there's a resource page with XR Access. I would say that there, if you're uh, interested and in you a person who attends meetups, there is an A11Y, which stands for accessibility, uh, A11Y VR meetup that happens monthly. It happens in virtual reality, but you can also watch it on YouTube. And this is a, a VR meetup started by Thomas Logan of Equal Entry. And in, what's really cool about it is that the every session is captioned. So um, it's this VR environment with captions and um, there's a lot of lessons there. Also on uh, the Equal Entry blog, there's a great uh, read about uh, screen reader use in VR. So there, there's a lot of stuff. Um, there's also the XR Association, which has a really cool developer um, toolkit um, for people who are interested. And the W3C has uh, some guidelines around uh, designing for XR. So there's quite a few resources out there. Let me tell you about another show on Relay FM, Rocket. If you like this show, there's a good chance you'll like Rocket. Rocket covers all the hard tech news of the week, but in a fun way. 
From the latest Apple news to scams with fake blood testing companies, Rocket is there. And you can be too at relay.fm slash rocket or search for Rocket wherever you get your podcasts. Well, uh, Regine Gilbert, thank you so much for being on Parallel. It was really wonderful to, to get to know you and to talk to you. But bef- before I let you go, I'd love to give you the chance to tell people uh, what you're up to and where you can be found on the Internet. Oh, well, I thank you. I am uh, continuing my my work, uh, my research on inclusion and accessibility in the extended reality space. I'm realizing it's a very broad topic. So I'm working um, actually this semester on narrowing it a little bit. And I am looking to connect with local communities here in the New York City area, um, the disability communities to work with um because I think, you know, in the in the vein of nothing about us without us, I really want to get um, the community involved. So that's that's what I'm working on now. Uh, you can find me on Twitter. I'm pretty active on Twitter um, at R-E-G underscore I-N-E-E. Um, and I am on LinkedIn. So you could find me there. And if anybody is interested in chatting or or um, talking more about this, I'm happy to to talk to anyone. Thank you so much for being here. You can follow this podcast at relay.fm slash parallel. That's where you can go to subscribe. You can also find us on Twitter at Parallel Pods, or you can drop me a line personally on Twitter at Shelly, S-H-E-L-L-Y. We'll be back in a couple of weeks with another show. Bye now.